Welcome to Plastic Surgery Decoded, the podcast where we demystify plastic surgery and unpack it into relatable concepts. You can use this podcast to gain insight, whether you are actually considering plastic surgery or just curious. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Regina Newhan, and this podcast reflects my experience and my opinion. It is not intended to provide medical advice, nor is it a substitute for a consultation with your surgeon. But after listening, I think you will have a better understanding of the topic of breast implants. Today we'll talk about the issues surrounding silicone, whether there is cancer risk with implants, and breast implant illness. We'll also talk about the lifespan of implants and if they need to be changed out. And we'll touch on the issue of capsular contracture and what that's all about. So let's get started. Regardless of any preconceived ideas you may have about breast implants, there is no arguing that they have been an impressive addition to the world of plastic surgery. They've changed it forever for both cosmetic and reconstructive procedures, whether restoring volume after childbearing or reconstructing a breast after cancer surgery or for someone who never developed properly, or just adding a little oomph to an area that many people are self-conscious about. And breast implants can also provide help to those who are in the midst of gender change. But issues surrounding breast implants have been raised in the media ever so often, like concerns about silicone, general illness, and even cancer. So I think it's important to talk about these issues. Allow me to shed some light. We'll sort these out in an understandable way and sift through what's salient. First, a little interesting background on the concept of implants. Some of the earliest attempts at breast enlargement date back to the late 1800s with the use of paraffin wax. Imagine that. Over the next 50 years, attempts to augment breasts included using materials such as wood, sponges, glass balls, and industrial-grade loose silicone. Those didn't go so well, but the year 1961 saw the invention of the silicone breast implant as we know it today. That is, a silicone gel-filled sac. The first successful placement of this type of implant into a patient occurred the following year. And the procedure caught on. Breast implant use for augmentation and reconstruction continued to rise dramatically in popularity until it was a quite common procedure. Today, it's the most popular cosmetic procedure performed. Liposuction is a close second for those who are wondering. Up through the 1990s, many refinements in the implants were made to try to make a better product. Medical-grade silicone gel was the most typical implant filling, and saline, which is essentially salt water from a sterile IV bag, was used less commonly as a filling. But in the early 1990s, there had been increasing reports about a possible association of silicone implants with autoimmune or connective tissue disorders. A well-known reporter, Connie Chung, did a televised expose on the subject, prompting such a national concern that the FDA took the implants off the market for all but reconstructive patients so that further studies could be done. So, anyone who wanted breast implants would have to use saline. Now, saline implants are absolutely fine, but often they don't feel as natural, and they are a little more prone to rippling or wrinkled appearance under the skin. There were some subsequent trials of using soybean or peanut oil as a filler, but these had problems if the implant ruptured. Back to the silicone gel, even though there were reports of some patients with silicone implants showing signs of connective tissue disorders, there is already a certain percentage of the general population who will never have implants, yet are still destined to develop autoimmune or connective tissue diseases in their lifetime. 
And sure enough, the studies came back not finding a direct link of such diseases to silicone gel implants. Therefore, in 2006, the FDA allowed silicone implants to be back on the market for all who wanted them. As you might imagine, due to their natural feel, there was a dramatic surge in the use of silicone implants after that, and today they are used much more commonly than saline. One stipulation the FDA had, though, was a recommendation to have the implants replaced with new ones if a rupture of the sac or outer shell was ever detected. Implant development continued to be refined, and the highly cohesive gel or gummy bear implant was created in the early 2000s. This was done to minimize any spillage of gel if the outer shell of the implant ruptured. Think about when you bite into a gummy bear candy. Nothing spills out. Same with these implants if the outer shell tears or breaks down. This form-stable development helped with the creation of teardrop or anatomic-shaped implants, which mimicked the typical silhouette of a breast when viewed from the side. A little thinner on top and a little fuller on the bottom. This shape is a nice option for some people, but not the best for others. One shape does not fit all. These days, implants come in oodles of sizes and proportions and filling, enough to suit anyone's needs. So, implant surgery cruised along smoothly for several years, but in 2011, the FDA reported a possible link between breast implants and a type of lymphoma called ALCL, which stands for anaplastic large cell lymphoma. It's not a breast cancer, but it is indeed a type of cancer. This ALCL seemed to be predominantly associated with the outer surface of a specific implant type called textured implants. This is as opposed to the more common smooth-surfaced implants. Texturing refers to the fuzzy coating given to some implants in order to try to keep them in position inside the body, kind of like soft Velcro. That would be helpful to try to reduce the risk of development of capsular contracture. And we'll talk a little more about contracture in a minute. Fortunately, ALCL is very uncommon. Relatively recent stats show an incidence of only one in every 3,000 to 30,000 implant surgeries. But if you're the one, then of course it doesn't matter that the statistics are way less than 1%. ALCL can be very treatable, but if it's ignored or not caught in time, it can lead to fatality. How does it present? Well, the timing is usually quite a bit after the surgery, frequently several years. Not always, but often, one breast will start to swell and fill with fluid for no apparent reason, not necessarily painful. If this occurs, the fluid that is built up around the implant would be sampled and sent for special testing. If it's positive, then treatment would include removal of the implant as well as the capsule or lining that your body formed around the implant. This procedure is called a capsulectomy. That may be all that's needed, but a special cancer doctor called an oncologist would be helpful in determining if any further treatment is indicated. As a result of the discovery of ALCL, at the time of this recording, at least one implant maker has taken their textured implants off the market as a precaution. And the jury is still out on this subject. More is currently being discovered. Anyone concerned about their implants already in place is encouraged by the American Society for Plastic Surgeons to check with their board-certified plastic surgeon for consultation and advice. Moving on, there is a not very well-defined entity that is important to discuss. 
It has been labeled breast implant illness, or BII. And unfortunately, it has often been confused with the ALCL we just discussed, possibly because the latter can be referred to as BIA-ALCL, the BIA part meaning breast implant associated. But BII is definitely not a cancer. And at this point, it has not been designated a true disease entity on its own. It has a long list of symptoms loosely attached to it, though many of these are problems commonly seen in the general population who do not have implants. Some physicians feel the sheer length of this symptom list and the wide variety of items on the list point away from BII being a separate, definable medical diagnosis. Rather, they feel perhaps it may be more of a constellation of symptoms for an inflammatory response or else for symptoms of other issues going on within the body that may be mistakenly associated with implants. The wide variety of symptoms can include chronic pain, chills, hair loss, hormonal problems, rashes, depression, headaches, difficulty sleeping, fatigue, and the list goes on. Researchers and the FDA have not been able to identify any consistency in symptoms or presentation, nor a clear cause connection to implants. So there is no test for it per se. Furthermore, there has not been a consistent majority of patients feeling permanently better after implant removal beyond what is termed the honeymoon phase of time. Yet there are no final conclusions here. At the current time of this recording, BII is considered an ill-defined constellation of symptoms that are possibly unrelated to each other and not necessarily a separate medical diagnosis. But scientific studies are currently underway, and the FDA will continue to have an overseeing eye on this. Shifting gears now, how long should implants be kept in place? If you ask the implant manufacturers, they will often recommend changing out implants every 10 years. But in my former practice, I found patients were keeping them in longer, particularly if they had a soft, beautiful result and were not having any problems. There were even some patients who had their implants for 20 to 30 years. But in those cases, if I did happen to go in surgically for an implant exchange, whether for a size change or another reason like capsular contracture, often I would find that the implants were actually broken down or ruptured. No matter, we would clean out any old material and start fresh. So let's now go back to the topic of capsular contracture. You've heard it mentioned here, and you may hear about it during a consultation or come across it in reading. It can happen more often than we like, especially within the first couple of years after surgery or if there's been an implant rupture. To help understand what it is, let's break it down to the components of the phrase. It's a contracture or a tightening of the capsule. But what on earth is a capsule? Well, the capsule is the thin layer of scar tissue that the body eventually forms around an implant once the implant has been placed inside the body. Think of it like a rind around an orange, only thinner and softer. It's the body way of walling off what it sees as something foreign, much like it would around, say, a pacemaker or something else put in the body. That's fine if the rind of scar stays nice and thin and soft, but in some patients, the capsule can start to thicken up, tighten, become firm and uncomfortable. In the worst case scenario, it may get bad enough that it feels the implant has turned hard. But I assure you, it's not the implant that has become hard. It's the capsule your body formed around the implant that became hard. Not the shell of the implant, but your own scar tissue layer. 
In some patients, if it progresses enough, it can not only be uncomfortable, but it can distort the contour of the breast and even make it seem pulled up on the chest wall, creating asymmetry as compared to the other breast. There are some things that can be done to try to help prevent a contracture, such as regular breast massage after surgery, but it still may not be completely avoidable. If a capsular contracture can be caught early enough, it can sometimes be treated with medication. If it has already advanced to a higher grade, however, surgery may be necessary. Not to worry, though. In plastic surgery, there's always a solution. Well, winding down, I know we've focused on some of the controversies and problems that can be associated with implants, but that was important for your education about the subject. Shedding light on a topic can help alleviate fears and help promote unbiased judgment. I want you to leave our discussion knowing that overall, implants have been of tremendous benefit to people and have become an unprecedented tool that allows plastic surgeons to foster or restore a patient's peace of mind and positive self-image. If you personally have an interest in or need implants, be sure to check with your board-certified plastic surgeon to see if they're right for you. And if so, may you wear them in good health. Well, that's our show for today. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something too. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Please share this podcast with someone else who might be interested. And while you're at it, check out the podcast website for related topics to explore. It's www.plasticsurgerydecoded.com. And as always, thank you for listening to Plastic Surgery Decoded. 